Like, no matter what I try to tell myself, my fight or flight system has decided I'm my life's in danger and I have to do something about it. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanigato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that would like to be a guest on our show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is oplpodcast at gmail.com. Just send us your story and we'll get back to you. Today, we're chatting with a woman who has severe hypochondriasis, which is also known as health anxiety. And as she put it in her email, I spend every day fully believing that it's my last day on earth because I'm afraid I'll drop dead any minute despite having every medical test that doctors could think of. This illness and this unshakable belief that she is going to die has cost her tens of thousands in medical bills, countless hours in the hospital, uh, and more. And she can't even be home alone or go to work, she told us in her email. So we're going to learn all about this condition, about her life, and uh, we've got her on the line now. So first of all, thank you so much for coming on and you know, sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to meet you guys. Yeah, no, we're um, definitely looking forward to learning more about this. And, you know, I know I just uh, basically used your words in the introduction, but, you know, if you can just kind of fill out that definition for us of what health anxiety is, what hypo or hypochondriasis, also known as health anxiety, uh, just, you know, what is your definition of this? And when did you uh, first begin to realize that you had this? Yeah. So um, health anxiety is kind of the persistent belief that there's something seriously wrong with you, um, despite doctors not really finding anything wrong. Um I've been to several different primary care doctors, specialists, had a lot of different tests. I do have a couple medical conditions, but they're not life-threatening. Um, I was diagnosed with um, illness anxiety. Actually, my diagnosis, kind of like a subcategory of that that I have is called somatic symptom disorder. So um, that's basically where you have a lot of scary symptoms that don't seem to have a medical basis. Um, I got diagnosed with those things last year during, um, I'd got, been going through a pretty tough time with all of it for a while and um, ended up going to a residential treatment facility for mental health disorders. I went through a pretty lengthy diagnostic process um, and that's where I got those diagnoses. Has this been something that, you know, you say you were diagnosed last year, but has it been something that's kind of been a constant in your life or was there a specific moment where you could kind of pinpoint when this all started happening? I can, it's kind of a long story, so I'll try to be concise as possible. Um, but I was raised by someone who kind of went through something similar. Um, when I was around seven or eight years old, my dad started having a lot of like chest pains and um, just a lot of really weird, scary symptoms that he doesn't really like to talk about. But I'm assuming it's probably a lot of what I go through where he was kind of going to the emergency room, going to the doctor and they were like, you just have anxiety and acid reflux. But he kind of just didn't want to accept that diagnosis he felt like 
there was more to the story. So my dad kind of rejected all doctors at that point and turned more to an alternative medicine viewpoint. Um, he was very like a lot of people around him would describe him as neurotic. I would say he was like very restrictive with his diet, um, kind of stopped socializing. My parents actually got a divorce around that time um, as a result of that incident. Um, stopped drinking alcohol, so that kind of affected his social life. Um, he got really into like faith and religion. It's kind of a coping mechanism, I think. So I was just raised kind of to distrust doctors, kind of with the mindset that they just want to give you drugs that will keep you sick. So you keep giving them money to the pharmaceutical industry, basically. It's how I was raised. Um, so I'm, then, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just curious. Like, so with hypochondria, like this, it's almost like OCD, I feel like, in the sense where we've done OCD episodes and one kind of like sentiment we always come back to is a lot of people walk around and say like, oh, I have OCD or my OCD is flaring up, but they don't really have OCD, like to the point that OCD kind of takes over your life. And I feel like hypochondria is something similar where I think, uh, you know, I know personally and just a lot of people have probably said that like, oh, I'm a hypochondriac or like I have those tendencies because anxiety can really materialize in physical ways and it's scary sometimes. But this is essentially the real version, I guess the severe, the extreme version of hypochondria where you are just, even if you are getting diagnosis from doctors that says, Hey, everything's clear. Everything's okay. That's not even enough to ha to convince you that you are okay. Right. You're, you hit the nail on the head about the OCD thing. Um, because that's basically the treatment for health Anxiety is basically the same as OCD. Um, from my understanding, the diagnose the diagnoses are very like similar. They're just a few little things that kind of determine if you get diagnosed one way or the other. I'm not sure what those things are, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's like your mind kind of gets stuck on something, and then the more you fear it, the the bigger it gets. Mm -hmm. I noticed that my mind kind of gets has my mind started getting kind of stuck, I would say, on different things when I was around 14 years old. And then it started getting stuck on like my bodily symptoms when I was about 15. I had my first anxiety attack that led me to the emergency room when I was 17. I was driving and I just started hyperventilating. My I didn't know what was happening. My hands got stuck in like claws, like that's something that happens when you hyperventilate. Um, I had to pull over and call the ambulance and everything. Um, and I was kind of just never the same after that panic attack. Um, kind of lived in a, kind of lived in a state of fight or flight ever since. Wow. Um, I was still a functional person. Um, I went through college. I got my master's degree, and then I was doing. Um, I have my master's in education so I was doing like a I guess you would call it student teaching um and I just started having the symptoms I had already had 
became really strong during that time because I had to talk in front of people every day and I was like a bigger workload than I was used to. And that's just when I think my brain got quote unquote stuck on that. And then it's just been pretty, pretty bad ever since. That was about two and a half years ago that that happened. Wow. So can you just kind of, I guess, if you can describe sort of where you're at right now, like day to day you wake up and just kind of, you know, how do you usually go about your day and how this kind of affects that? Yes. So this is not easy for me to talk about. Um, This isn't a part of my life that I want to stay in, but basically I wake up in the morning and it's like, um, when I wake up, usually my roommate's still home. So I'm like, okay, what? I haven't got into the fight or flight yet, but pretty much as soon as he leaves and I'm by myself, it's like, it kicks in. And all of a sudden my brain is like, like you're, you're dying right now. Like you have to, like, you can't be here by yourself right now. You have to leave. So Um, usually I just, I live pretty close to like the local medical facility. So usually I'll drive there and just find like a table that I sit at. Um, I was working from home, but I just resigned from my job a couple days ago because I just wanted to focus on recovery, I guess. But, um, so I would go there to the local medical facility and just kind of hang out there during the day, do my work on my computer. And then once my roommate would get home... I would go home and um, pretty much the whole time, like, I don't, I don't, this is really hard for me to explain, but like that feeling that I have in the morning, like that panic attack that I have every morning, as soon as I get to, you know, the, the medical facility where I kind of camp out, like it'll stop. And you would think that I would be able to rationalize, you know, all right, it stopped. So that was clearly like an anxiety moment, but like, I really can't stop it. Um, mm-hmm. Like no matter what I try to tell myself, my fight or flight system has decided I am, my life's in danger and I have to do something about it. So that's not, I mean, I feel like everybody, a lot of the employees, kind of know me around there they're like who's this weird person why are they here every day um yeah it's it's not my favorite thing yeah wow and it seems like so some it's it seems like you're experiencing this every day no matter what some days you're able to control it I guess being in the medical facility helps um but what happens if you sort of lose control and I guess what's in a day like the most extreme case that could happen like do you end up going to an emergency room or something like that yeah I have many times um I kind of have a lot of I live in a rural area so I've not had great experiences with my local emergency room I think that's kind of part of what led me to this point is I kind of lost faith in them. So I kind of just have this really vulnerable feeling like, um, like if something were to happen to me, like no one's gonna be able to do anything about it. Um, my local emergency room is notorious for 
not being good at dealing with mental health situations. Like my previous therapist told me that uh, my local emergency room is notorious for like she'll pink slip people, which is where she fears for their life and safety and they'll, they have sent them home before. So it's very like, I just get, I've just, to be frank, I've just been treated really badly here. And I think that's really contributed to why I'm so anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had like, I don't know, you know, people just kind of, you know, I've been in, I don't know how to explain this concisely, but kind of in like a crisis, but not, not a suicidal ideation crisis, just like I'm dying. Like I need help right now. I don't even need medication. I just need to know I'm not dying. And like the doctor's like, yeah, you've been in here before. I'm not going to run any tests. I'm not going to look at you. Like we can't do anything for you. You're just gonna have to go home. Hmm. So then go home in that state. And it's just a really hopeless feeling when I've gone to like, I've gone to, I live about an hour away from a bigger like research hospital. When I've gone, I've gone to that emergency room. That's a whole story. I went there on Christmas day last year and it was just a whole other experience. Like, I feel like if I had access to that resource more often, I would be in a lot better place. But unfortunately I just live in the kind of out in the middle of nowhere there's, where there's not the best medical care. So that really contributes to everything. And also, I, I imagine, you know, going to the hospital, the emergency room, like, costs a lot of money. How are you kind of going about that? And is that, like, a big issue as well? Um, I had, I have pretty good insurance. Well, I did. Um, I just turned 26. So, well, I got to figure that out. But up, up until I was 26, I had uh, my dad's insurance, which was pretty good. Um, so it was about $150 per emergency room visit. If they did tests, it would be a little bit more, but honestly, a lot of it was covered. Um, but overall, like all the testing that I've had and all the, like I went to the emergency room probably like 20 times last year. So that did add up. Um, my local hospital has like a, a assistance plan based on income. So you can get like 70 to 90% of that forgiven. So that's kind of nice, but I do still owe on that. I mean, I just kind of look at it as there's nothing I can do about it. I just have to make the monthly payments and it is what it is. Is, is this a feeling, this anxiety that even right now you're sort of staving off? Like, are there any moments that you feel like you can escape it or anything that you found that helps like that I don't know like getting lost in a show or a book or like something where like momentarily you aren't aware of those feelings um it's crazy how there's like every day when I usually go home around the time that my roommate gets home he's my my roommate's like my closest friend so um I'll usually go home then. And it's like, as soon as I pull in my driveway and I know that he's there and like everything's normal, it's like everything will go away. Hmm. Um, And I'll be okay for a couple of hours. And then as it gets closer to bedtime and I know I have to do it all day, the next day, tomorrow, it just 
starts getting pretty bad again. All right, guys, big news. Pay the price. We only have a limited amount of games left, and after we sell these out, it's never coming back. So if you want it, you're gonna have to go get it right now. For those of you who don't know what this is, me and Greg created a trivia party game that is so fun, and it's guaranteed to just, you're gonna have a weird night. So how do you play? Like I said, it's a trivia game. You're gonna get a trivia question. If you know the answer, great. If you don't know the answer, then there is a card called a consequence that you can do, and you can get into doing some really weird so if you complete the consequence, then you get the point. So even if you don't know anything about trivia, you're not really, you know, in tune with what's going on in the world, uh, you could still score points by being a crazy <laughs> Don't curse. Mean Greg wrote every single card in this game, so it's guaranteed to get weird, like I said. And it's going to be like a collector's item. It's available on Amazon. It's available at PayThePriceGame.com. Go get yourself a copy. And also for the people who have it already, keep sending us videos of you guys playing it because I enjoy watching you guys like shove your feet into your toilet and flushing it and all kinds of weird stuff. So go get it on Amazon or go to PayThePriceGame.com. Secure yourself a copy and be a part of history. <laughs> yeah, wow. And you did mention in your email that I guess this... This anxiety has affected you physically. You mentioned uh, fluctuating weights, um, like only eating certain type of foods. Can you explain that a bit? Yes. So I have, um, I have a condition called reactive hypoglycemia. I've had it for probably about the same amount of time. Um, it's, it's having that condition has been a trigger for a lot of my anxiety because it is scary um and but the thing that I think makes me different is other people that have that they go to the doctor and the doctor's like here's how you can manage it and then they go home and they manage it and they're fine for me I constantly will obsess about my blood sugar dropping um that's led to a lot of weight gain because I'll like drink like excessive amounts of like orange juice or like glucose tablets that I don't really need but I'm just like well what well, my sugar could be low right now or what if the meter's wrong or you know whatever um, it's kind of become like a compulsive behavior to me so that's led to some weight gain um I did have a period of time where I had fears about allergic reactions to foods so I would only eat food that I had cooked and it was only about like 10 foods like I was just convinced I was going to have a, an anaphylactic reaction at any moment. I even convinced my doctor somehow to give me an EpiPen. I don't know how because I don't have any allergies. But, um, yeah, that was a scary time. But once I got the EpiPen, honestly, that allergy fear kind of went away. So I don't really have that anymore. Oh, because you had the pen. It was like, if something happens, then I can help myself. Exactly. It was a hmm. reassurance behavior i would say so have you found that you were able to mitigate anything else with something like that where you did have sort of you know you could take control over a situation if you ended up being in it i've been struggling with that lately like i feel like for a long time that is how i managed it that's like kind of how i managed getting through college and you know working and stuff for a long time and I think like when I kind of entered the real world, it got so severe that that stuff wasn't 
working as much anymore because I was like, holy crap, I have to hold down a job now. And I have to, like, I don't live with my parents anymore. I have to take care of a home. And it was like all of a sudden, all that stuff that I had been doing to kind of get myself through the day just wasn't working anymore. So that's when things got really scary. And that's kind of what led to the mental hospital stay. It was a lot of that stuff not working anymore. Hmm. It's just crazy to hear how controlling, you know, this all is over your day to day in terms of recovery or steps to recovery for something like this, where would you begin? And, you know, what does that look like? Definitely. Um, that's a good question. Um, I wish that I had concrete advice to give people. Unfortunately, um, I'm still in the throes of this, you know, situation. So, um, I would say it's definitely important to have a doctor that you trust. Um, I have a pretty good relationship with my primary care physician. Um, she runs any tests that I ask for and she's, you know, she's not dismissive of the way that I feel like some doctors are. If I would say that if you come to a doctor that is dismissive or kind of belittling in any way to find a new one, um, I would say medication wise, I've, I've talked to some people that, that medication SSRIs or, you know, some other combination was miraculous for them. Um, so I think that that's an avenue worth pursuing at least for me, that hasn't been the case. I don't seem to tolerate medication very well, but it's something to try. I would also, for me, um, I've found a lot of hope in, um, I guess, kind of some alternative and natural viewpoints, not like, not like really crazy alternative medicine, like colloidal silver or like weird supplements or like infrared saunas. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm more talking about just day-to-day lifestyle, like paying attention to how different foods make you feel. Mm. I've noticed that and my reactive hypoglycemia plays into this, but like sugar can give me an instant panic attack. Um, caffeine can give me an instant panic attack. Um, not eating enough protein or having like too many processed foods really impacts how I feel day to day. So I'm really working on cleaning up my diet and kind of switching to a whole foods type diet and with the guidance of my doctor, she's, she's like, I really think that that will help you. Um, and that, that's really hard when you're dealing with mental illness. Um, that's not something we take in lightly. Like you've probably seen like quote unquote, like depression meals, like people post as a joke where it's like a tortilla with like a piece of bologna in it or whatever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I think that having that healthy lifestyle to focus on um really helps me mentally and just really helps keep the symptoms at bay um so I feel like the more I can move towards that I think that will really be helpful for my anxiety because I've been struggling with like when when it really got bad like I couldn't eat anything so 
I was basically just drinking like juice and Gatorade all day long and like protein drinks. And that really set my mental health from bad to really, really, really bad. So I understand how that can happen. But if, if somebody's in that place, I would recommend, you know, doing anything you can to, to not do that. Um, yeah. With, no, I, I, with, with everything kind of going on and, you know, everything that you're speaking about, um, you know, it does sound like very overwhelming day to day, but do you have any like good days? Like, do you have days where it's a lot less, uh, you know, kind of in your face and a lot less to deal with, or is it kind of just constant every single day? Um, it's been every single day for probably the last year, year and a half. But before that, it was, it used to just be like, if I had to drive in the car a long way, if I had to speak in front of people, if I had to spend a long day out of the house, like those were kind of like the hard days. And then when I was at home, I was kind of just kind of relaxing. I was all right. So I, would, I think that when it becomes, your mental health becomes a really, when it becomes a scary situation is when you don't have those pockets where you can get away from it. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the places where our mental health system, I, I think it could be improved in a lot of ways, but I think that our mental health system doesn't really have a, a layer, I guess, for people that are not like having suicidal intentions, but they're also kind of in a crisis where they're like, I can't really live like this, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, our mental health system doesn't really have a great solution for that. And I've asked, because I feel like that's where I find myself a lot of the time. And I've asked numerous mental health professionals and, um, you know, doctors and stuff, like, what do you do if you're not suicidal, but you're not like, but you're like, I cannot do this anymore. And no one really has a good answer. So I think that that's a big shortcoming of our, of our mental health system. How does something like this affect uh, your social life or relationships? That's a good question too. I definitely when this started happening, I definitely started growing away from my friends. And like when I was younger, they would invite me to do something on the weekend or, you know, have a sleepover or whatever. And I just was like, no, there's no way um, that I'm going to have it in me to do that. So you definitely miss out on things. Um, but I honestly have a lot of friends that have mental health issues. Like it just is so common nowadays to have something that you struggle with. So a lot of people understand. So that's also really nice. Um, it's, it's nice when you have a friend that is like, if you have to cancel, like they understand. If, if you just want to see them, but you just want to stay in that day, you don't want to, you don't necessarily want to go out on the town or whatever. That's nice too. So yeah. I, think, I think just having people in your circle that understand is really helpful in that regard, but there's definitely people that don't understand and it can be hard to feel judged sometimes in those cases. Totally. No, I just think, uh, 
the, just the rise of awareness and, you know, more people speaking about these issues, mental health issues, um, that does help because it's, you know, we say this all the time on episodes like this where people are struggling and other people just want to give the advice of, uh, you know, in your case, well, clearly there's nothing wrong with you. So get over it. What else could you possibly need to be told? You're going to every single doctor. And obviously, if only it was that simple. Um, but that is, you know, good to hear that there are people in your life, you know, who are understanding. And to that point is, is that the reason why you wanted to come on the show? I imagine that this isn't easy for you to speak about uh, what was sort of the purpose just to raise awareness, you know, for anyone sort of going through mental health issues that uh, might be invisible to people in their lives. Yeah, I wanted to come on the show because one, I thought I thought people might be curious about what you know, extended inpatient psychiatric care looks like, um, if they would ever need it, like what to expect since I've been through, um, I was in the mental hospital for 38 days. So, um, that's an experience that I can, you know, share with people. And I also, I think that there's like I've kind of hinted at before, I think there's a lot of shortcomings in our mental health system as a whole. And I kind of wanted to bring attention to that as well, because sometimes I'm like, I look back at how long I've suffered with this and kind of all the different people that I've reached out to for help and how a lot of what was supposed to be helpful was actually detrimental to me. And I just cannot believe that you know things are still this way for people like I remember one time I even went to the emergency room and I was like in that crisis kind of state that I was telling you about where I was like I cannot do this anymore and the doctor just was looking at me like you know I'm really sorry that our mental health care is not better um he's like I wish there was more I could do for you but I literally just don't know yeah. like are like I said, if if you're not if you if they're if you go into the emergency room and you're having a any kind of mental health issue, they're gonna ask you, are you at risk for harming yourself or someone else? And if you say no, they're probably not gonna do anything for you. Yeah, I mean I think that, you know, uh the medical system can always use some sort of improvement, um, for sure. And you know, we, we just really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking to us about this topic because I imagine it's not the easiest thing to talk about. And, um, you know, like I said, we just appreciate you being so open and honest about it because I'm sure there's other people that sort of deal with something uh, similar, maybe a different severity. Um, but, yeah, um, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and kind of, you know, letting us know about your experience with this. Yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me share my story um and i would just i guess I, I i wish that my story were more hopeful um for people i'm still kind of trying to figure out the solution and what's going to work out for me but i always keep this quote by john green in my mind because he's one of my favorite authors he's been through a lot of mental health issues himself and he always says even when you're broke when even when your brain tries to convince you that there's no hope just remember that it's lying and there always is Mm. Wow. 
Yeah. And also just want to add on top of that, you know, just we wish you the best of luck with everything. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of courage to come on this show to talk about this, uh, you know, not looking back at, you know, something you conquered, but something that you're in the process of conquering, you know, something that you're, you're still going through and, you know, to still consider other people and how your story might help them while you're still struggling so much. I just think that takes a lot and, you know, we really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners and viewers really appreciate it too. So yeah, just want to wish you the best of luck with everything moving forward. And, you know, we're super thankful that we got to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah. All right. We'll have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. That was hard to listen to, I think, because you can hear the anxiety, you know, the, the feelings that she was talking about, the thoughts that are going on inside of her mind, they were in her voice too. You know, it was, she is clearly, you know, still struggling with all of this. And it's, yeah, I think a lot of people listening, I know myself and you from conversations we've had, you know, have dealt with anxiety in different forms and have felt its crippling effects at times, the overwhelming effect and, you know, even the way it can manifest itself, you know, physically. And that's not fun. And to the extreme level to know that every single morning you're waking up to face the same thing, to have to essentially drive to a medical center just to even get your work done because you know that you're close to doctors. I mean, her her entire life is essentially shaped around uh, this anxiety and it's it's hard to hear. Um, But again, like I just said to her, like for her to come on to, for her to talk about this, like she is clearly aware of all of this and, and trying to fight it. And I just hope that there are some good days ahead because it seems like there aren't at the moment, but I really hope that some good days come. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate too, because this is like a very slippery slope, you know, like I think that I would say most people at some point in their lives have gotten something in their head and then it becomes like, Oh man. And sometimes that results in physical symptoms that are even more confusing. You know, I was actually Mm -hmm. talking about this a few days ago, obviously a very different level of severity here, but like, you know, when you were younger in school and it was the day that the nurse was going to check everyone for lice, all of a sudden, like my head started to get itchy and I was like really nervous and like anxious that day. It's like your stress and anxiety can manifest in physical symptoms and could have that, you know, real effects on you. And then it just makes you believe the anxiety that you've already started you know, mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. it becomes this like vicious circle. So it is a very slippery slope and I've dealt with, you know, panic attacks and, and stuff like that in the past. And people that I am, you know, some of my family members and people that I'm close with have also dealt with that. So I definitely, um, you know, have some experience in what that's like, not to this level. Um, but even the level that I'm talking about can be very, you know, debilitating, you know, for a certain period of time. So mm-hmm. when you're dealing with it on this type of level, it's, it's, just very unfortunate and sad. And, you know, the only thing that we can do is like hope that, you know, she can kind of break out of this thing, uh, somehow. And obviously there's a lot of improvement we have to make on helping people with mental health and just in general, you know, with that whole thing. But 
yeah, we, we really hope that she is uh, going to be doing okay. And, um, you know, sort of finds a solution or finds a way to kind of live with it peacefully. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough. Like I said, slippery slope, it's kind of, you're doing it to yourself and then it's manifesting in ways that you can't control. And then it's like, Oh, I was right. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I know that a lot of people can kind of relate to that on a, a different levels, but you know, we appreciate her coming on and talking to us. Not an easy thing to talk about. And I, I hope it wasn't triggering in any sort of way for her as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, for <laughs> I anyone else. All. Yeah. For anyone else out there that would like to be a, a guest on our show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is opiopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, just send us your story and we will get back to you. Yeah. And OPL podcast on TikTok, on Instagram, bunch of clips from the show. You can follow us there. You could head over to patreon.com slash OPL show. And uh, if you're listening to this on audio platforms, we do have the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash other people's lives where you can actually see our faces, uh, which they're not too bad looking. And if you're just looking at our faces, you can go over to any podcast platform and find actually a bunch of additional older episodes there. And that is all for this week. See you guys next time.